0: Our epistle lesson from Ephesians is probably, or was, growing up, was probably one of my favorite passages of the Bible, and maybe it still is today a little bit too, if I'm being honest, because there's something about it, maybe it's just the boy in me, that loves the imagery of warfare, of getting ready and dressed for battle. Of course, in St. Paul's day, the image he has in mind is probably that of a Roman legionnaire or a centurion. But in my mind, it's always a medieval knight. I'm kind of stuck in the Middle Ages, so anyone who tells me that I am stuck in the past, I take it as a compliment. But there's something about that that's just so exciting this getting armed and prepped for battle. Maybe that's why, as a kid, I loved watching action movies, war movies, lots of guns and explosions. And it helped that being a kid when I was about 12 years old, I was roughly the size I am now, so I could go to the local movie store and get rated R movies with no questions asked. I didn't have a beard at the time, but the beard probably would definitely would have helped seal the deal. But I would watch these movies with all the guns and the explosions, and they were exciting. War was being fought. Lives were being um, killed, and lives were being saved. There was something at stake. And probably one of my favorite movies of all time, of war movies, was the movie Platoon. I was interested in the Vietnam War, I don't know why, but maybe it was just because I was growing up in the generation that fought in Vietnam and for whom that was really part of their living memory. And so Platoon was a great movie, I thought. And it is a great movie. But what made it a great movie for me at the time and reflecting on it now are less because of the exciting scenes of battle, because if you've seen the movie Platoon, you know that there's no glorification of war in that movie. But I think what really struck me about that movie was the internal war that was being fought in the life of Chris Taylor, the protagonist, the young college dropout who signed up to be in the infantry and to go fight in Vietnam. The internal battle is a battle that is represented between his two sergeants, Sergeant Elias and Sergeant Barnes. Sergeant Elias is a little bit more easygoing. He's a little bit more free spirit. Sergeant Barnes is the battle-hardened warrior. And neither of these sergeants is a virtuous character, or at least not entirely virtuous. They all have their shadow side, you could say. And so the movie portrays this internal battle within the heart and mind of Chris between his allegiance to Sergeant Elias and Sergeant Barnes. And if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to spoil it, but it is worth watching. And it's this image of the battle that is being waged in the heart and mind of Chris that I think St. Paul has firmly in mind in his description of putting on the armor of God. You see, my friends, we are all in the midst of a battle. There are no such things as conscientious objectors to this battle. There are no such things as pacifists in this battle. Because it is a battle that is being waged for our own hearts, our minds, and our souls. Everything is at stake in this battle because it is our very lives that are at stake. I'm not talking about our physical lives. I'm talking about the fullness of our lives, our souls, our spirits, what makes us unique, the image and likeness of God that has been created in each and every one of us. That is the battle that's being fought. In a time of COVID, it's easy to completely overlook this battle because we are so fixated on the material aspects of a different battle. And we lose sight of the battle that truly matters. It's not to say the battle with the body is not important. It is. But the battle for our souls and our spirits is the most important battle, and it is a battle that is being waged in our midst. And as I said, it's a battle that we are all combatants in. There is no such thing as a conscientious objector or, or a pacifist in this battle. And the idea of battle and war is scary, especially for those who have served as arm, in the armed forces or for those who have been civilian casualties or civilian witnesses to warfare. So the idea of warfare kind of sets us on edge. I remember there was a time in my life where I thought Onward Christian Soldiers was a terrible hymn. Because this militaristic image of the church is problematic. We're a peaceful people. But that was a very naive view on my account, because it overlooked the fact that we are at war. I'm glad that Scott and I didn't coordinate this, but that opening hymn, Stand Up for Stand Up for Jesus as Soldiers of the Cross, is in fact a powerful reminder of the battle that is being waged and our role in it. This is why we are called the church militant. The church militant refers to those of us here on earth who are still in the midst of the battle. And if you're still not convinced that a battle is not being fought, I'm sorry to say, then you're not really paying attention. Because there is a battle being fought. Not just out there, but in here. It's a battle we all know. It's a battle that is waged every day. But we as the church militant, we have the assurance that although the battle is still being fought, the war is already won, the victory is assured. Because Jesus Christ, our general who has gone into battle before us, has already won the battle. Think of our reading from the gospel today, where with a mere word, Jesus prevents this little boy from falling into death. With a mere word, the word of God speaks, and life comes. We think of of the story of the uh, the resurrection depicted in the stained glass. The women show up expecting to find Jesus' body, but no, the angel said, he is not here, he is risen. Death has no hold on Jesus Christ. You see, death is the battle that we are all fighting. We are fighting the battle of sin, of death, a battle against Satan and his armies. And if you do not think this battle is real, then you are not paying attention. But the battle, although it rages on, the victory is assured. Because by his death, death has been trampled by Christ. By his life, resurrected life is given to all those who receive this gift. We look forward to the time when we join the church triumphant, the church at rest, the church as it has been rewarded in heaven for its victories here on earth. You may be wondering why the Paschal candle is lit. We only light the Paschal candle during Eastertide, at baptisms and at funerals. You may have heard the news of Deb Flewelling's death, on Friday. We can't have a funeral in the church, not because we're not able to, just because there'd be too many people for us to accommodate here. So we light the candle in honor of of Deb, in remembrance of her death, but also in celebration of her victory and ours. The battle is tiring. At the end of her life, Deb was in her home, unable pretty much to speak or move toward the end of her life. But she fought to the very end because of the love of her family, her church family, and her community surrounded her and gave her that strength for her last few days on earth. We're all tired of that battle in our own lives. It can be a struggle. We think, is this battle ever going to end? Will this war ever come to an end? Think of anyone who lived in World War II. My grandparents, in the midst of Nazi occupation in the Netherlands, wondering, is this war ever going to come to an end? We feel the same way. We think we get beaten down by life and everything that comes with it, falling into temptation, falling into habits that are destructive of ourselves and others. And we live in a world where materialism is the norm That completely neglects the spiritual. It tells us the world that only the things that we can see, touch, taste, and smell, and measure are things that are truly real. That the spiritual isn't simply the stuff of fantasy because we can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, measure it. And yet this plays right into the hands of our enemy. But there's something about our, this time of year as we approach All Hallows' Eve, better known as Halloween, and yes, it is on the liturgical calendar, because the liturgical day begins at evening, so All Hallows' Eve is the evening of All Saints' Day. And the reason I bring this up, because as my kids remind me that yes, Halloween is on the liturgical calendar, and therefore that does entitle them to go trick-or-treating, because in Halloween is then that space where maybe we're reminded a little bit more of the spiritual realities that inhabit our world. Have you seen the house on Washington Street? South Ward Cemetery, I think it's called. It's a bit grotesque and a bit over the top. But it reminds us at Halloween, as we see the ghosts and the shadows and the spooky things, that there actually just might be more to this life than just our mere bodies. And that can be profoundly unsettling. Now, the motivations of people who are decorating their houses, it's just for fun and part of the spirit of the season. I get all that. And I'm not going to rain on, down on anyone's parade for having fun with all that. But I will use it as an opportunity for us to reflect on this battle that is being waged. With the principalities and powers of this world, with the angels and demons, and with us right in the crossfire. How many people have heard of the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis was an Anglican lay writer. He was a professor of English in Great Britain. But he wrote some truly profound works of Christian theology. And in the Screwtape Letters, he has, it's a collection of letters, and it's fiction. I want to make it clear I'm not suggesting that this is non-fiction. It is fiction, and Lewis knows it's fiction. So we're not going to read it the way that some people read Dan Brown's um, Da Vinci Code as though it's history. It's fiction. It's good fiction. But in the Screwtape Letters, we have this exchange of letters between a junior demon by the name of Wormwood and his uncle, a very senior demon, ranking very high in the hierarchy of hell, Uncle Screwtape. And in this book, there's this exchange of letters, as I said, between uh, Wormwood and Uncle Screwtape about how best to frustrate and confuse the life of this person, the patient, as they call him, who has been assigned to Wormwood. And what makes this book so thoroughly contemporary is that we see the subtle devices that the enemy uses to conflict, to confound, to confuse and distract us. We know that Satan is a father of lies, and the best lies are always the lies that are small and subtle, the lies that slowly take root that We don't even notice they're there until it becomes, the lie becomes a truth. And the reason Lewis wrote this book is to help us get that perspective of the battle that's being fought and our role in it. Again, the idea of battle and warfare is a scary thing, especially when we know that death is the final enemy. But we cannot lose hope Because, as I said, the victory has already been assured. The battle, the war is already won, even though the battles are being fought. None of us will be able to defeat this enemy in single combat. We will lose. And I'm sorry if that's a spoiler alert for anyone. We will lose. But that is only a battle. It's not the war. Because, as I said, the war has already been won. Our eternal life is already assured. None of us is David to the Goliath that is sin and death. But Jesus is. And we know how that story ends. So we are here together, united in battle. But we have to be united in battle as a unit. Think of the Roman, um, I think it was called the Testudo Maneuver, where they come together with the shields and they kind of make like a tortoise movement. That's what we're supposed to do. We come together as a unified body because it's only when we're unified that we are able to withstand the attacks of the devil. You see, when Paul is giving this imagery of armor, armor here is meant to be protection. It's a defensive posture. We don't go on the offense. Christ does that. But neither do we just sit defensively huddled in our our shell just kind of waiting for the battle to be done because we hold ground. When defensive ranks are broken in a battle, the people scatter. Our job is to hold our ground, to not weaken the defensive posture. And our armor, as St. Paul describes it, is but one thing. Our armor is Jesus Christ himself. Our armor is the scriptures that are given to us, the word in the word written. Our armor is the sacraments by which we receive and participate in that resurrected life of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. So yes, going into battle does mean we will get wounded. We might get stranded. We might get cut off from our unit. We may fall into the despair of thinking, that this is all futile and that we are going to lose but let us remember that our armor is Christ that our general is Christ he is our foreguard our rear guard our flank guard and that as we wage this battle he will never leave us or forsake us so yes let us fight the battle but let us fight with hope and courage knowing that the war has already been won that the one with the power over life and death has promised us the assurance of this victory, which is eternal life with him. Amen.